Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading Short and Deep, The Stroke of the Sun by Arthur C. Uh, Arthur C. Clarke, first published in Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, September 1958. It also goes under the much more common title, A Slight Case of Sunstroke. All subsequent publications seem to have that as the title. I'm not sure that it's better, but I, I can see why someone might think it's better. Um, what do you, what do you think of, about the difference in the title there? I sprung that on you, but I, you sure did. So, well, a slight case of case of sunstroke, yeah. um, is a clearly, uh, an ironic title mm-hmm. because, uh, in this story, uh, uh someone dies by uh, having uh, all sorts, having 50,000 mirrors focused on him simultaneously. He's incinerated by a stroke of the sun. Um, And also the diversion caused by this allows for the takeover of a mythical uh, South American country. So I don't think there's anything slowed it. Mm. The question then becomes, do we think that having an ironic title is somehow a reinforcement of the the tone of the story as a whole? Uh, do we think of the story as sort of ironic or or not? So yeah, uh, it seems to me whether that is a superior title, the retitling is superior depends upon how you read the story. And yeah, and I would say that's exactly right. This is I I would the first time I read this, I think I would have preferred the ironic title, the cutesy title. Um, but reading it actually for the third time, I read it once again for us, and then I thought, wait a second, something here I'm missing, and I went through with a highlighter. <laughs> yep, <laughs> there's something I was missing. Um. And I think the unironic title actually may maybe help help me find that. Really? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, how did you what what did you find in the story to begin with, and what was the new thing you found? Was it supplemental or or uh, su- substitutive? I think it is supplemental, at least in one respect. I mean, what I, what I really like about this story when I first read it um, is that it's a science fiction story, right? It's about it's about science in that there is such a thing as uh, you know focusing of light, and you can you can burn things with the sun if you concentrate its 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 power. I mean, this is as a young kid, I, I'm not proud of it, but I I understand why I did it. You know, getting the magnifying glass out and and burning things on the sidewalk, including maybe an ant or two, um, is super interesting because. If we were slightly closer to the sun or we had a slightly different atmosphere, um, that would just happen normally, right? We would all be dead and the earth wouldn't have any life on it. Um, But it just so happens that we're in the perfect condition so that um, you unmagnified light doesn't burn everybody most of the time. But uh, just a little bit of magnification can concentrate light to such a degree that everything catches on fire, 
right? So it's it's got that power of science behind it. Um, and I, I mean, this is almost like a dangerous document in a certain sense, right? It get, might give people ideas, seriously. I mean, I was thinking about, you know, um, somebody could do this. Uh, I mean, it's well thought through. And then thinking about how well it was thought through and how, you know, it's a Clark story and I have to treat it seriously because we're doing a show on it. I did find a, a second la layer to like the discipline behind, you know, how thinking about how you would have anybody be able to convince everybody to do a certain thing at a certain time and a certain way. Um, it is kind of uh, a, a lot more clever of a story than the jokey tone um, of the title that, that changed title might lead you to believe. So basically there's uh, there's one event in this story. I think we should make that clear to anyone who's listening to us but hasn't read the story. The, the Perivians uh, and the Paraguans or whatever, uh, mm -hmm. these two uh, smushed together chimeric South American country names, um, are crazy for football. Uh, our narrator is an American from Moscow, Idaho, given mm -hmm. uh, it's a 1958 publication. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Moscow has some other meanings for the American psyche, uh, but... Clark is British, but he's writing it as if he were an American here, and he's trying to be American in some sense. Mm -hmm. um, this is a guy who has some kind of uh, inexplicit business in South America, but we can tell pretty quickly that he's an arms dealer. So I, I, I did not know that on the first reading. I'm like uh, – and I, once I start looking, I'm like, holy crap, he's an arms dealer. Like oh. it was not obvious to me at all. Oh, but really? This, yeah, and the and the story, the story really makes it clear, but it doesn't say it, right? And then I start thinking, well, maybe he's not just an arms dealer. Maybe he's a he's a, you know, he's from the CIA. Uh, you know, he's helping, but no, he is an arms dealer rather than a, a government agent, right? Yeah, absolutely. But it never says he's an arms dealer. It just makes it clear. Uh, after, if you pay close attention, well, maybe I happen to be paying more close. I think attention. you must have been. But I mean, there's uh, our narrator arrives, and it says uh, the next few weeks that it says he's doing his business, um, and it's a corrupt business. Uh, he he gets there, and uh, the story opens with our narrator uh, making clear how important football, meaning soccer, uh, to an American, how important football is to these South American countries. And indeed, there have been many deaths uh, in soccer riots in South America. It's famous. Um, so the guy goes, this is a return trip to South America, a return trip to this country. Um, and everybody is talking about football, of course. Um, as he is, uh, he, he's arriving and uh, this diatribe that the uh, that he hears made me quite homesick. But remembering where I was, um, let's see. Let me see if I've got this. Uh, the, yes. Um, when I first when I got to Perivia um, after last year's match, um, 
he gets uh, he's being told about the the dishonesty of the referee. He had, it seemed, penalized most of the players on the team, disallowing a goal and generally made sure that the best side wouldn't win. This diatribe made me quite homesick. <laughs> now, at first reading, one could think that means, well, I'd like to go a place where things are honest. But I think right. I think probably it's quite the opposite. He wants to he thinks of other places where you can do underhanded business. Uh, remember, this is not an American author, although he's trying to create an American character. It is a Brit. But remembering where I was, I merely commented, you should have paid him more money. That is to get the referee to call things the way you would have wanted. We did was the bitter reply, but the Paragurans got at him later. Too bad, I answered. It's hard nowadays to find an honest man who stays bought. The customs inspector who just taken my last hundred dollar bill had the grace to blush beneath his stubble as he waved me across the border. Okay, so at that point, we know that football is huge. Football is dishonest. Everybody understands that dishonesty is the norm, including the narrator. And he then says, the next few weeks were tough. But presently, I was back in what I prefer to call the agricultural machinery business. Uh, it seems to me that that phrase, what I prefer to call, mm-hmm. gives it all away instantly. I mean, if he were I, really in the agricultural machinery I business, agree. he would have just said, I was back in the agricultural machinery business. Yeah, I, I, I just I didn't think about it because he's uh, I mean, at that point in the story, I, I totally agree that that's the key to unlocking. But there's so much evidence later on, like um, – it's like um sure if you don't get it at first you get it later i got it yeah but no like like if there was nothing else there was nothing piling on you wouldn't necessarily know maybe he you know he you know i sell tractors right he could have said that and um but i prefer to call it because it makes me feel like a like who knows why he would prefer to call one business another like so if you're in the mortuary business you say I um I help people to the other world or something like that, right? Here, uh, what's funny is he says to the the generals and the colonels, right? We need gentlemen. I, I'd protest next. Our next consignment of, and it doesn't have quotation marks around it, but rotary drills is being unloaded tomorrow. And unless we get the permit from the minister of agriculture, some busybody may open the cases and then. So it's not super clear that it's not the the agricultural business, right? But then I'm sorry, Jesse, but why would you be worried about somebody opening the cases to find that they really are, you know, rotary it, drills? Uh, right. I mean, obviously, yes. But I thought it was the corruption. They're going to steal our rotary drills. Like the, I guess the first time I, I can't un- explain why I didn't see it the very <laughs> first time I, I'm reading it. But I, I'm thinking that other people will have this problem too. And that's why I want to point out that, you know, my stupidity and not seeing it the first time um, is like when I recommended this story to you. Yeah, it was because of the novelty of of this sort of assassination in a certain sense or the a coup d'etat, a kind of bloodless coup d'etat. Right. Well, it's bloodless Which, only because the referee is vaporized. Right. He's turned into <laughs> a pile of ash. Uh, but I believe it even says bloodless. And the amount of description of of weapons, weapons, weapons is 
is what piled it on to make me have a niggling feeling that I was missing something. So I, I don't want other readers to to feel as as stupid as I am feeling. Oh my gosh, Jesse, I feel like I shouldn't talk about this story anymore. I don't want to. No, make no, you keep feel going. Bad. No, keep no, no, I, no. I'm I'm glad that I see it. I'm glad I found it on my own. But I I'm not a hundred percent sure that you know a lot of people treat reading as a very casual thing. And uh, I I was much I. I I'm. I guess I'm not as subtle as I. I want to think I am. Well, <laughs> let's keep. Context. Let's keep going though. Yes. And not make it all about me. Well, so, <laughs> so, um, what our narrator uh, tells us is that he's, you know, he's he's doing his business, right? Um, which we have to not worry. The generals will take care of it, or the minister of agriculture will give the permits and so on. Uh, and he's invited to uh, a football game with the other country that is their great rival. And of course, uh, he has to go because these are the kind, he's given a good ticket, and these are the kind of people, the ones he's dealing with, whom uh, you do not refuse. Uh, if they give you a gift, by golly, you use it. Um, and in fact, the gift giver tells him about the wonderful, wonderful special programs that they've made. They're bound in uh, foil, so they shine, and they're gorgeous special souvenir programs. Uh, the game is going on, and uh, it, it doesn't matter which side is winning or losing. But at a crucial moment, it's clear that the uh, our side right, wants to win. So, uh, in fact, in the 100,000-seat stadium, 50,000 seats have been occupied by people from the military. They've been given uh, free souvenir tickets and free souvenir programs. A bugle sounds and then a second bugle. And at the second bugle call, they all turn their program so that they reflect down the sun down on the referee. And the third bugle call, they put their programs back down. And all we can see is the cremated referee. The home team goes on to win by an enormous margin. Uh, 14 to 2, I think it was. I mean, just a, a crazy, crazy uh, score for a soccer game. While it's going on, the coup takes place because half the army is already occupied. And as uh, our narrator is told, when he gets on the plane to leave, along with the, uh, the former uh, head general for uh, the former chief of staff for the now deposed uh, president, of the country. Um, I don't think the president was ever a truly elected president anyway. Uh, the former leader of the country, um, the fellow says to him, the chief of staff says, well, you know, we won the, uh, the game and uh, we also got, you know, to take over. So, you know, everybody's happy, <laughs> right? Because um, the people are happy because of the game win and we're happy because we've got the government we want. So yeah, it's, you know, win-win situation, even though it cremates a, uh, a referee. And, and that seems to be sort of the end of the story, but it isn't really the end of the story uh, because there, it goes on for another paragraph. Um, so he says, as general Sierra remarked to me when I boarded the plane of his late chief, we uh, we let the army win the football match, 
And while it was busy, we won the country. So everybody's happy. Though I was too polite to voice any doubts, I could not help thinking that this was a rather short-sighted attitude. Several million Paragorans were not very happy indeed, and sooner or later there would be a day of reckoning. That's the other country. I suspect that it's not far away. Last week, a friend of mine who is one of the world's top experts in our specialized field indiscreetly blurted out one of his problems to me. Joe, he said, and this is the first time we know the name of the narrator. Joe, he said, why the devil should anyone want me to build a guided missile that could fit inside a football? Mm. So with that last line, um, a lot goes on, I think. One of the things is that uh, I find it surprising with the enormous foresight as a scientist that Arthur Clarke demonstrated throughout his career. He should be so silly as to think that anybody would not be able to figure out why you would want a small bomb. It's also crazy to me to think that if you can smuggle a football into the stadium, you need to put a a missile inside it. Just have the damn thing go off. Um, But anyway... Uh, despite the fact that that's not very prescient on Clark's part, that last line, why would anybody want to have this, suggests that in a way the story is about arms races. Mm -hmm. And it is suggesting that an arms race may be as socially useless and foolhardy as a soccer rivalry. And that to commit oneself to this is significant only because you also have an opponent who also believes in its significance. And if everybody would just say, hey, it's just a game, and hey, we're just living our lives in our own country, everything would be a whole lot better. Um, So in that case, um, it seems to me, it is in fact a quite serious story that offers us a provocative analogy for one of the main difficulties in the world in 1958. Um, not that it's uh, that arms races don't continue to exist as we see with North Korea today, but the US-Soviet arms race dominated the world at that period, at least world politics. And Clark here, an Englishman, is suggesting that uh, it's foolish. You, you just need to understand things better which is not easy to do because, as with the narrator, we always disguise what we're doing as something else. Mm. So in in that light, I would (laughs) – I don't mean the pun about light. um, Looked at that way, it seems to me that the the story is uh, not only a good story, but it's a story better off with a metaphorical rather than an ironic title. Mm -hmm. A stroke is a hit, right? Yes. Um, uh, whereas a, a sunstroke is, you know, it's it's a it's a, actually a serious matter, but a slight gaze makes it less serious, right? Yeah. So I can see the 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 joking around, um, and of course it's not a nuclear bomb inside that that uh, football, um, at the end of the story that they want. It's a guided missile, right? So to me, it's it's kind of it's the half joking, of it's it's it's. It's actually not the bomb we want. It's what we want to be able to kick the ball and cheat our way into the goal, right? Um, when I think there's uh, ambi- I think there's an ambiguity there. 
I mean, the yes, reality it's a deliberate is, I mean, ambiguity. You know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember daily conversations in 1958. I was 12 then. And people did talk about, they didn't talk about um, what happened. I mean, sometimes they would say what happens when the bombs get to us. But often they would say what happens when the missiles get to us. Sure. So this is interestingly ambiguous. Maybe they simply want to be able to guide the ball through the goalposts. But maybe this is just a metonym for <clears throat> destroying the enemy. Well, it's it, 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 what's so cool about this. I mean, uh, the I guess the way I thought about it in my mind is this is an interesting but kind of stupid story because I don't care about soccer, right? And I don't think I, I, I'm I could be wrong, but I have a feeling Arthur C. Clarke doesn't care very much about soccer. His main character doesn't care much about soccer either. In this story, he's you know he loves American football. I doubt Arthur C. Clarke loved American football. What I can tell you is that dismissing it is a mistake because they do take soccer very seriously in many parts of the world, including South America, and national matches, matches of countries against countries, are much more interesting to more people than local matches in a certain sense. They they are like a war and honors at stake. And and, and then so setting it in a stadium uh, with a whole bunch of soldiers, you know, obeying orders, you know, at this, and a bugle call is a very, you know, this is how you, in traditional methods, how you control your soldiers in battle. You know, you do this for this call and you do this for this call. And that's exactly what they do. They don't even know what they're doing other than they're flipping their their cards and pointing them, focusing them at a certain spot. And uh, I want to point out, um, like I've gone through and highlighted just all the sort of the military and um, weaponized uh, metaphors that are throughout this. So, of course... On the soccer teams, it, it's pointed out they have team captains, right? Well, we've also got, in a certain sense, team colonels and team generals in this uh -huh. story. Um, for one horrified moment, he says, as he sees the light suddenly brighten up the whole stadium, for one horrified moment, I thought of atomic bombs and braced myself uselessly for the blast, but there was no concussion, right? So... He thinks, oh my God, that light, it's its like, you know, it's a nuclear bomb going off. And of course, it it is in a certain sense uh, nuclear. It's from the sun, but it's a fusion thing. And they're only taking a very slight uh, part of that energy, but focusing it. And that's, that's pretty great. And then a little later down on that same uh, column, Madre de Dios, right? That's mother of God, and that's also what people say when a nuclear bomb goes off. I never knew it would do that. Uh, he didn't know what he was doing. He was just following orders. <laughs> I was just doing what I was told. But, of course, we have actually lurking in the background of this story a, a playboy, right, who has the description of him is that he he's uh, rich, intelligent, and a little bit science-minded, right? And so, he races cars. Right, a car racer, right? A uh, playboy, he's a car racer, and he's a little bit science-minded. So there we have the new El Presidente, don't we? Right? Or at least the, the power behind the throne. 
who's manipulated the 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 generals to help him perform a coup d'état, a bloodless coup, in a certain sense, and that's why that line right near the end um, has double meaning. So it says, um, uh, "I thought it was a sh- rather short-sighted attitude, <laughs> right? The attitude that we can kill um, this and." Maybe not worry about whether the arms get through because we don't need the arms as much as we might have needed them before we did this bloodless coup, right? What's the arms dealer want? He wants more conflict. He wants to sell more equipment. And instead of selling, you know, lots of guided missiles, he only needs to sell one guided missile inside of the uh, the football to, to win the soccer match. Um, earlier, when we were getting the boring stuff that I think the author uh, the author thinks is boring and the character only gets an interest in quite late in the game, um, we get a, a, a scoring of a goal, and this is the description. The ball soared through the air in a beautiful parabola, nicked the post, and cannoned in. Right. <laughs> then a little later on that same column, despite the heat pouring down from a not-far-from-vertical sun... I felt a sudden chill, as if a cold wind had swept past me. Not for all the wealth of the Incas would I have changed places with that man sweating out there on the field in his bulletproof vest. So they have to put him they have to put him in a bulletproof vest to prevent him from being shot from somebody in the audience. And of course they had uh, what uh, uh, disarmed all the all 100,000 of the uh, um, attendees, right? Yep. There was a virtual armory collected at that. Yeah, it was just, the protest faded swiftly enough, however, as the artillery accumulated at the checkpoints, right? So this is, you know, this is a field of battle where it should all be bloodless, but they still have to put the guy in a bulletproof vest. Now they need to conceal, you know, it is it is kind of a metaphor for war. I mean, that's why... But it's I not just a metaphor like it for so war. It in, fact, it, in fact, is part of civil war in this story. Sure. But I, I mean, like this, just think about how it works. To, to not take soccer seriously is to not see that it is, it's kind of war. Right, and so all the cheating that's being done, I was thinking, oh, is that UN stuff? And I, I think you can read too deeply on it, but that's why also our narrator can't say what business he's in. And even the first line of the story, in which he says, um, "I, someone else, should be telling this story. Someone who understands the funny kind of play of football, the funny kind of football they play in South America, funny kind of football." Uh, if you substitute that word, it's a funny kind of war, right? Well, actually, I wanted to ask you a question about that, Jesse. Yeah. Um, what do you make of that disclaimer? As the guy we come to know is named Joe, says someone else should be telling this story. Uh, he says because he wants someone who better understands, uh, it would be better told by somebody who understands soccer. Uh, South American soccer. But in fact, he is telling the story. Why is he telling the story and to whom? Mm-hmm. 
Um, it's it, a good question. He says in the next line, back in Moscow. So he's he's not back in Moscow, Idaho. No, he's not. He's he, he, it feels like he's at the airport bar, right? Sort of talking to a fellow salesman in a certain sense, and explaining how you know they're they're different down there and. He's making another sales trip, but maybe his business isn't going to be as good as it was, or it's going to have to change somehow. Here's another hypothesis that um, that when he says this, um, he is speaking to a potential client, and just as he won't really say what he what he what those rotary drills are. Um, we do know that his business covers more than those rotary drills. It includes, in fact, even inventing new stuff to sell. Mm-hmm. So when he ends by saying, by quoting this other fellow as saying, um, why the devil should someone want me to build a guided missile that can fit inside a football? What he's really doing is trying to get his listener to imagine, hmm, what could I be asking you to get for me? That would help me in the conditions of conflict that I know about. So it may be that that ironic, you know, someone else should be telling this story is no more true than his statement about rotary drills. What he's really saying is, you know, I may or may not understand your conflict, but I understand that you know what I could do for you. Mm. And this is all a sales pitch. Yeah. Um, and I, I, fitting in with that, and I, I kind of, again, I didn't dis, I didn't think of, think it through properly the first time I read it. Perivia and Perugia, or however, those are fake countries, but they're not fake countries in this world, like they're, they're real countries in the world. He says they're what I'll call, right, in the same way that he says what I'll call the industrial or farming machinery business. He says, I'll call this country Peruvia. Right. Right. Uh, Peruvia or whatever. Well, because Peruvia, I'm, he's hiding his, he's being, he's hiding his, uh, you know, respecting his clientele's privacy. Exactly. Right? And he's giving his, the guy he's talking to or person he's talking to, um, reason to believe that he would be trustworthy as a dishonest person. And That's that right. explains in part a deeper message behind that encounter at the airport. The yes. first encounter when he says, you know, it's hard to find somebody honest enough to stay bought. That's right. So what he's saying is, you buy me, I'll stay bought. That's right. It's a really, there's some subtlety in this story. Very, uh, it's got a lot of subtlety. But uh, I still, I still think it's uh, ultimately, even past all the subtlety of the writing, I mean, this is why I like science fiction, is it? it's really about something, you know, uh, the burning glass invented, who invented that? The um, Archimedes, I guess, right? Invented, in supposedly, uh, a reflecting mirror or a, a um, collecting uh, mirror, a right, a glass mirror that could that could yeah. a ship at sea. Right, and defeat uh, an enemy fleet coming into the harbor to attack them. Right, this is the exact sort of idea um, of you know science with a big exclamation point at the end is is the solution to to problems and. Classically, uh, kings love this stuff, right? They they love getting an edge on their enemies, and science is the exclamation point uh, of how to solve 
thorny problems that, you know, there's a guy we need to get rid of. This umpire won't stay bought. How will we? I mean, what's so funny is the actual interesting part of the story doesn't actually take place on the field, does it? The coup d'etat is not in the killing of the umpire. That is the distraction in a certain sense. But Indeed. And, and the telling of this story is the distraction as well if we see this as, in fact, a sales pitch to another rich playboy with uh, dangerous uh, pleasures like car racing and a slight interest in science. Right. But there's always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep. Thank you.